Closer Look is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Riverhead Ford Lincoln. Come experience America's best-selling brand by visiting your local Rep 58 dealership today. At Riverhead Ford Lincoln, you're more than just a customer. You're part of the Riverhead Ford Lincoln family. Meet their team who is dedicated in helping pair you with the perfect vehicle, whether you're searching for a coupe, SUV, convertible, or pickup truck. They've got it. Say hello to General Manager Tom Williams, a lifelong North Fork resident. Prepare yourself for the road ahead with a new Ford F-150, Ranger, Echo Sport, and more. Riverhead Ford Lincoln has been the winner of the Ford President's Award, five years running, 2013 through 2018, and honor rooted from superior customer satisfaction. Visit Riverhead Ford Lincoln on Route 58 in Riverhead, one mile east of the Tanger Outlets, or at riverheadford.net. Riverhead Ford Lincoln, not just a better deal, a better dealership. It's hard to imagine a time before COVID-19. It's been just seven months, but so much about everyday life has changed. We've left our offices or lost our jobs. Many of our kids are being taught from home. And worse yet, we've been separated from loved ones or lost them altogether without having the chance to say goodbye in many cases. And yet, one year ago, we'd never even heard the term COVID-19. Now it's ever-present. Seven months and a couple weeks in, we at The Paper are still telling stories from the coronavirus. In just the past two weeks, we've had positive tests for students in local schools and employees as well. We had a story of a man who finally left the hospital after six months of treatment, and another who lost his life in a much shorter period of time. We've learned about an app to track the virus and gotten a clearer picture of how a vaccine will eventually be rolled out. This week, I'll be joined by Times Review editor Joe Workmeister to talk about these stories and more. This is Closer Look. I'm Grant Parpan. Before we bring in Joe, I want you to hear from Emily McGinnis. She's first in her senior class at Greenport High School. I spoke with Emily because I'd heard about a project she was a big part of this summer. Working with a local inventor, she helped create a ventilator. It can help COVID-19 patients breathe more easily. But I'll let her tell the story. I noticed in the pandemic that there's a shortage of ventilators. It's just been a very serious issue with doctors having sort of a real world trolley problem with making the impossible decision of who to give ventilators to. I happened by chance upon this Facebook page with this man named Stephen Bull. He was looking for a microcontroller. You code it so it could turn things on and off. And we actually had one. But by the time Emily and her dad, Bob, reached out, Mr. Bull had his controller back up and running. But hearing Emily's interest in his project, the inventor made a suggestion. He said, why don't you build one yourself? And so we, we got started on working on that. He had a prototype already. Uh, it was sort of a plastic dishpan with a vacuum attached to it. It would suck the air out of the dishpan and then that would make a negative vacuum inside of it, which would pull the chest up and that would help people breathe in. We just started working on coding it so that the vacuum could go in and out and change the vacuum pressure and it would be able to help somebody breathe. And we just kind of went from there, decided to make it bigger because it, we realized that it needed to go around the sides to get the best suction and help pull the chest up the most, help people actually breathe. There were other improvements we needed to make, such as we put foam on the bin so it's more comfortable and more airtight. It straps on using like Velcro. Yeah, we had to experiment a lot before we got to the final iteration. If nothing else, it definitely does work when you try it out. It does help you breathe. When you breathe in, you can feel that you're breathing more deeply and getting more air in. 
We call it the Venti. This one, we're the Venti 1.0. If it seems like what Emily and Mr. Bull created is fairly simple, coding aside, it's by design. While there's a version that may go to mass market, Emily's focus is on a do-it-yourself approach. The idea was that we would somebody would be able to build it for around $100 just from things they get from a hardware store or something. The ventilator is actually built out of a plastic bin, just a plastic storage bin that we found somewhere in our house. It's, it's fairly basic stuff. The coding, uh, the technology parts are a little more complicated. We have a screen that shows the pressure that's inside of it and a lot of wiring and stuff to set it up like that. But we're hoping to produce instructions so we can send out these instructions for free so someone who might not have access to a ventilator due to shortages or just because they don't have the funds could be able to build one from home with their, their instruction manual. We also want to uh, publish a paper in the Journal of the UN so hopefully it gets to a bigger audience. For Emily, it's been a rewarding experience. It's taught me a lot about like how lungs work, how breathing actually happens. I'm just a high schooler. I don't really have the opportunities to help people, I feel like. Well, I guess there's just things you can do every day, but this seemed like a really great chance to just help people after seeing everything this pandemic has done. If just one person can build this or use it and it helps them breathe, then that's, that sounds like a win to me. And now, one last word from our sponsor. Closer Look is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Riverhead Buick GMC. They are Long Island Sierra source and have proudly served the East End for generations. You asked for it, they listened. Riverhead Buick GMC has expanded its inventory so you get the vehicles you've been searching for. View their large selection ranging from sedans, trucks, and SUVs today. At Riverhead Buick GMC, they are more than just a better deal. They have given back to the Riverhead community for decades, supporting local Riverhead charities, schools, and parades, as well as providing vehicles for golf tournament fundraisers. Stop in today to take a test drive of that car you've been looking for. Grab a cup of coffee or just say hello to their friendly staff. Visit Riverhead Buick GMC on Route 58 in Riverhead, one mile east of the Tanger Outlets, or at RiverheadBuickGMC.com. Riverhead Buick GMC. Not just a better deal, a better dealership. So, Joe, from the top here, I feel like we should probably talk about the uh, most recent news with COVID-19. And uh, we're recording this on Friday morning. And uh, on Thursday night, we heard from two local school districts. Yeah, the, the news came down um, Thursday, you know, late late in the day Thursday, that at uh, Riverhead School District, uh, some transportation uh, employees had tested positive. Um, so the district... Uh, decided to go all remote on Friday and, you know, kind of give some time to assess and get some more guidance from the Suffolk County Health Department as to what to do uh, next. Uh, you know, we didn't know specifically how many um, cases were positive or, you know, how many students may have been kind of uh, in close proximity to uh, potentially need quarantine now. Um, but just, you know, another example, how quickly things can kind of, uh, Kind of escalate it, you know, in, in the school environment when you have so many people uh, together. And, you know, I think you know so far for Riverhead, you know, they've had some positive cases, but um, you know, I think if if you had looked at it from the beginning of the year, you know, and said, you know, by you know uh, late October, you know, you'd have this many cases so far, you, you probably would have probably would have signed up for it because it hasn't been that bad considering how large of a district Riverhead is. Um, so, you know, again, this is uh, you know, kind of the latest development. We'll see, um, 
what kind of uh, you know impact this will have on transportation now if you know additional um, employees you know have to go into quarantine and you know are they not able to provide the, the buses come Monday you know we'll have to see what that happens uh, you know, there but at the same time uh, we also found out that over in Mattituck um, school district that there was uh, some more COVID there as well um, so they preemptively closed um, again for Friday uh, classes uh, going remote again and um, so you know that's this is what we've seen you know as soon as there's kind of a case um, you know it's quarantine potentially closing the buildings down and, and reassessing and and that we you know we've now seen this effect in three school districts all in the last uh, week or so so you know it, as things are looking pretty good at the beginning you know maybe it's uh, starting to you know hit a little more now and and we'll see if um, cases are just going to keep kind of going up as we get into the, you know, deeper into the, you know, uh, poorer weather. It's, you know, people get you know, more inside and, and in close proximity together, if, you know, this starts spreading more and more. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that. I mean, so far, it seems like, and this is really going across Suffolk County when there's closures, it's usually really only for like a day. Uh, you would have thought going in that maybe you get a case and that kind of shuts things down for a couple of weeks in that particular building or in certain classes. And maybe it's uh, maybe it is happening where certain classes are being shut down a little longer. But it's really those building closures have been kind of one day everywhere. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious about with Riverhead. Uh, they don't provide much information. I know you're talking about health issues with people, too. Uh, I'm, I'm curious how it spreads uh, among a group of uh, bus drivers where you have you, you would figure they should have pretty tight protocols where they're not really engaging with each other too much, that they're wearing masks. Uh, it's probably one driver to a bus for the most part. Uh, so it's kind of interesting how it could even really spread there. It seems to me that maybe there was a, a lack of discipline uh, at, at the bus uh, company. Yeah, yeah, we don't really have uh, you know clear clear answers in, in terms of you know you said how many specific people um, did get it and you know how that sort of happened you know where were they together and um, you know how to you know as you said you know you would sort of think um, you know with social distancing and you know everyone kind of staying apart that um, you know if one person got it you know hopefully it wouldn't be spreading to other employees um, so. Um, you know, hopefully it doesn't go beyond what we've seen so far and things can uh, get, get back on track. Yeah, I think right now we have really only one district putting the two elementary districts aside. I think Shoreham Waiting River is the only one, if I'm uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure they haven't had a, a case yet this school year and they've been open full time. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen anything uh, popping up yet at uh, Shoreham Waiting River. So, um, yeah, and they've, uh, They've been, you know, they came up with a pretty kind of bold plan, I guess, to just go get everyone in the buildings, and you know, took some, took some work into do that, um, you know, with the uh, Briarcliff building that had been closed, and um, you know, getting some students in there to be able to spread out and get the, you know, social distancing for the elementary uh, students. But um, yeah, so we'll see, uh, you know, how things continue to go there, and um, you know, hopefully, uh, no more, no, no COVID uh, pops in there. Yeah, definitely. Um, the the uh, coronavirus cases that we've seen in the schools kind of happened very early on. And, um, you know, we learned right before schools about the start that it was going to be delayed at South Hold. I believe that was announced the, the night before. 
And then we had our first cases in Riverhead after really just the first couple of days of school. Um, and then we recently learned that those were all connected and uh, in a very tragic way. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the story that you reported last week about Bill Eagle and his family? Right. So, yeah, it was a, a Sunday uh, right right at the beginning of September when we found out the Southold uh, School District was going to be delaying their in-person uh, start to school uh, due to uh, a couple of staff members in the district testing positive. Around the same time, um, uh, we found out that uh, over at Aquabog Elementary School, there was a couple of students who had tested positive there. Riverhead had started a little bit earlier than the other districts, so they had already had um, either it was one or two days of classes at that point uh, where the other districts hadn't started yet. And um, so what we actually found out was now um, those were, as you said, those were all connected from the same family. Um, so basically this uh, family lives in Jamesport. There's, they're, um, they have two kids that go to Aquabog. Um, they're both um, employees of the Southfield School District. Uh, one's a teacher, one's a social worker. And they had gotten, had gotten um, infected with the COVID-19. So that's kind of where, where it happened. And where this kind of turned tragic was um, uh, the woman who is a social worker, um, her parents got infected. They live in Southfield. And as you know, with this, with COVID-19, you know, uh, older population is definitely more vulnerable, uh, and um, and her her dad was eight years old. He had had a um, uh, a heart surgery, you know, or, or a bypass um, done, um, you know, about a year or so earlier. Um, you know, was in good condition, was up and about, you know, you know, living his life as you know normally as you would. Um, but you know, that's you know a condition that had them worried when they found out that. Um, you know, he he was going to be infected, and um, so you know, it was kind of interesting the way this unfolded because when they had gotten sick, um, Bill Eagle, who who's the, the the gentleman living in Southold, and his wife uh, Martha, uh, his wife had gotten gotten hit a little harder at first, and they were at you know first kind of more concerned uh, with her, and he was more concerned with with his wife, and he was kind of taking care of her, and then. As a few days went by, um, they both kind of started feeling a, a little more, and and eventually had to both go to uh, to the local hospital, and they were both taken by ambulance on the same day. And um, so, as they ended up at the hospital, um, uh, Martha's condition eventually kind of improved enough where she was able to go home. But at the same time that she was able to go home. Uh, Bill's condition only worsened, and he had to be transferred uh, to Stony Brook Southampton Hospital, where they're a little better equipped to deal with uh, more serious COVID cases. Um, you know, once people require uh, like ventilators and get to that that level. So, so you had these two you know, two cases where you know it seemed like one person had it worse at first, and then it kind of flipped, and um, Bill ended up kind of in, in, in worse shape, and um, so he eventually had to get get on the ventilator had some issues uh, with an infection. They kind of tried everything they could. And, um, uh, you know, eventually, unfortunately, he did did uh, pass at, in, in late September. And um, so it was just a you know, tragic example of how COVID can spread within a family. You know, in total, there were seven people in this family um, who got infected with, with COVID-19. And, you know, and they were doing everything that you would expect, you know, in terms of, um, you know, they weren't going out when they didn't, you know, didn't have to, you know, 
kids were wearing masks when they were out, didn't really, um, you know, go out much to stores and that kind of thing. And, and, you know, so they were a little dumbfounded of how, it, you know, they even got it in the first place, but um, it, it was, uh, you know, just a tragic example of how, you know, as I said, COVID can, can spread within a family. And when you talk about, you know, kids not really being too susceptible to it, you know, they can get sick. And, you know, as we've seen, luckily, um, there hasn't been that fatality rate with children. But the big concern, as we've seen here, is that, you know, kids can spread it to to adults, and then it can spread to the more vulnerable population. So that's one of the big concerns, I think, um, with, with COVID-19 when you talk about um, spreading in schools, you know, particularly because, you know, if kids are bringing home, maybe not symptomatic right away, it can, um, you know, it can, it can spread, you know, pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, I think it seems like that family was doing all the right things. So, I mean, no disrespect, but it does kind of underscore the importance of uh, social distancing right now when kids are in school with, with the older population as challenging that it is. I mean, we've dealt with that in my family where we just haven't really seen my parents for the last couple months as uh, my kids are both in school and it's, uh, it's hard, uh, you know, people lose their support systems and I do kind of wonder when the schools will open up, but it seems like, you know, very few cases of students getting it, but at the same time you have the teachers there. I don't know how fair that is to the teachers. If more schools right. open up, it's, uh, it's just, it's just so challenging to navigate. And it, it, you're right. It does seem like there's a little bit of an uptick right now uh, within the schools, which is a little concerning. And uh, yeah, I just feel like we're, uh, we're, this isn't going away anytime soon. Right. It sort of seems like that with the kids, you know, even younger kids, they, they seem pretty good about wearing masks and everything, right? I mean, they seem to be kind of going with the flow. Um, I know you have some kids in school now. I mean, you know, that doesn't seem to bother them too much. Do you kind of see that? No, I mean, not at all. They're, they're there, you know, they put it on, he comes home, even sometimes my son will get home off the bus and I'll look at him 10 minutes later, he's still wearing his mask. It just kind of becomes a habit. I think they're more used to it than even we are as adults as we're working from home or distancing in office spaces and, you know, right. or just kind of wearing when we go to the store, like, you know, they're, they're so used to it from those eight hours that they have to do for however many uh, days a week they're in school. Uh, I, you know, I did want to just touch on one last story before we go. Uh, some of these COVID stories have uh, sort of happy endings. And uh, I wanted to just talk a little bit about the story of John Peters. Uh, he's a South Hall man, I believe, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. He had he had gotten sick with um, with COVID, you know, kind of right back at the beginning of when this all happened. Um, and, uh, you know, got it pretty bad, had to go to uh, Stony Brook uh, University Hospital and was there for an extended period and and just from dealing with that it kind of knocked him out to the point where he really needed a significant recovery not just from the illness itself but all the effects that it ultimately um, caused on him where he was he couldn't really walk I and mean, he couldn't really even talk anymore and um, so eventually he was had to be transferred over to uh, kind of a medical center in Riverhead where they had the skilled nursing facility to kind of begin, you know, pretty lengthy rehabilitation just to, um, you know, be able to get back to some sort of normal where he could, you know, get back home and, and function normally. And so it was really a, a very extended, um, you know, recovery for him. And he was uh, released from the facility last week and 
Um, you know, so they did the big walkout for him and family and, and staff there lined up and cheered him on as he was wheeled out of the, of the hospital. And um, so, you know, it's just another one of the examples of how with COVID-19, even for people that, you know, it may not kill them, there can be, still be very serious consequences where you're, you're knocked out of commission for a long time and, and the recovery is kind of unlike anything you know that I can really think of for another sort of respiratory um, illness it's really um, can really can really um, have pretty devastating effects um, without necessarily um, getting to the point of a fatality so yeah he ended up uh, between the two hospitals spending a total of about six months uh, hospitalized he was the last for uh PBMC of that sort of first wave of, of patients that came through right, for, yeah. uh, for COVID. Yeah. So, you know, pr- uh, pretty, pretty incredible that he was uh, able to go through all that and, and make it home. And, you know, it's, so it's, you know, great to see somebody, you know, be able to survive that and persevere and, and, you know, make it out the other side. So, you know, we, we've covered a, f- a few of these over the, over these uh, six months where people get released from the hospital. So these are always, you know, you know, great to see, and you just hope you know, you know, few, fewer people end up in this position where they have to be hospitalized uh, going forward, and you know, hopefully we don't we're not seeing this, um, you know, kind of surge in, in hospital capacity start to go back to go back up with you know, just start spreading more, and, and we see more people end up in 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 our, in our local hospitals. All right. Well, thanks for joining me this week, Joe. No problem. Thank you.